lights up everything. The Colorado Avalanche have completed their mercy killing by finishing a sweep against the St. Louis Blues, and there was nothing gentlemanly about it. I'm recording this immediately after the game, but fair warning, I have not prepared at all. So, if you like polished podcasts with high production value, then tune into our next episode for the Ocean's Eleven, or at least Ocean's Thirteen, of post-playoffs podcast breakdowns. But if you love steaming train wrecks of unprepared, badly cut nonsense, then you'll love this money plane of an episode. So let's get started and let's go, Kelsey Grammer. Who's on that plane? I'm the baddest motherfucker on the planet. I am Darius Grouch the Third, the Rumble, and I am taking down the money plane. Now bring me my money. Oh, please hold on. One Cup podcast. It is just one guy tonight, and there will be no cup this season because the St. Louis Blues have officially been eliminated from the 2021 NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. They uh, did not win a game in the series, nor did they look particularly close to winning a game at any point. And as I sit here, uh, I recognize that the comparison to Money Plane in the intro was actually an apt one because. Um, you know, Ryan O'Reilly lending his considerable hockey talents uh, to the St. Louis Blues of 2020-2021 uh, is, you know, analogous, analogous, whichever, analogous uh, to Kelsey Grammer lending his incredible acting talents to the steaming pile of garbage that is Money Plane. Uh, and Ryan O'Reilly is far head and shoulders above the rest of his cast in St. Louis, much like Kelsey Grammer is head and shoulders above his cast on Money Plane. And in fact, Mike Hoffman uh, is a lot like Adam Copeland in that he sort of knows what he's doing a little bit because he did uh, a something similar once in another place. Uh, but that was a very different thing, really, and he's not being allowed to do that stuff well here. So he's just kind of on the Money Plane. That's, that's Mike Hoffman's role. So in any case, uh, I will not drive down the list of blues players and compare them to characters in money plane but here we are the blues are out of the playoffs it's just me tonight as you know ian has landed safely in his return from his island paradise in hawaii but uh understandably did not feel like hopping on a an immediate episode to break down the uh, whatever train wreck that we just witnessed with the blues on the ice so it's just me we'll have an episode later this week uh, to talk about everything and, you know, really dive into the first of what I'm sure will be many what should the Blues do this offseason type episodes, as well as our usual summer content schedule of nonsense and uh, chicanery and skullduggery and all sorts of things. But um, what have we just witnessed? We witnessed the Blues get completely obliterated by a much better team and... I don't think there's a, much of a reason to read a lot more into that. I, I know a lot of people are searching for explanations and want to talk about how David Perron couldn't play because of COVID, and that sucks. It definitely sucks, and it sucks that Jake Wallman, who really emerged as one of the uh, 
unheralded, unexpected stars of this season. Uh, wasn't able to play either uh, for most of the series until tonight. Sucks that Vince Dunn was hurt. Sucks that Craig Berube uh, apparently has weird feelings about the fact that Vince Dunn is hurt. I'm not even going to really uh, break those down until I can talk to Ian about it, uh, partially because I want to read more of the you know, quotes and everything and make sure I understand the, the whole story correctly, but that was strange. Um, so yeah, they were shorthanded, uh, and that sucks, but also, you know, and for obviously very different reasons, but, uh, the Avalanche lost their number two, number three center in Nazem Kadri, and he, um, was gone for these last two games and they didn't miss a beat. So, you know, you can't talk about the Blues as a next man up mentality and then use the injuries as a big excuse for why they lost. If they're going to be next man up, then they need to be next man up. Um, and they certainly weren't in this series by any means. And the Avalanche, you know, they're they're probably going to win the Stanley Cup. I don't, I don't know who could possibly stop them at this point. I mean, sure, the Vegas Golden Knights could stop them, and maybe they will, but... My God, are the Avs good. Uh, Nathan McKinnon is as good as any player in the league. Uh, Sam Gerrard is as creative as any defenseman in the league. Uh, having Landis Cog and Ranton and round out your top line is just unfair. Um, so they're ridiculously good. They're going to be hard to stop. The Blues never really had a chance in this one full strength or otherwise. And here we are. The Blues are out of the playoffs. They've got a nice long break until the next season to figure out what they're going to do, and they have a lot of decisions to make on not only unrestricted free agents, of which they have several, Tyler Bozak, Mike Hoffman, um, Jaden Schwartz, the biggest one, and uh, maybe one or two others, I'll check, um, but also uh, the Seattle expansion draft is coming. Um, They've got a lot of young players they need to sign or deal with. Uh, RFAs include Zach Stanford, Ivan Barbashev, Robert Thomas, uh, Jordan Cairo, um, and then Dakota Joshua, Jacob Delarose. Those guys, you know, obviously much less, much less significant on that RFA scale. Uh, Austin Pagansky has the chance to be a UFA this summer too, so that's a, on a lesser uh, thing. And Vince Dunn is an RFA, so a lot of decisions to make. Really big decisions, um, and Ian and I are going to break a lot of that down. But I just wanted to provide some sort of overall thoughts on everything. So a little peek behind the curtain at my life right now. As you know, uh, if you listened to the last episode, I am going through a move right now, helping my mom move to a new apartment, uh, downsizing out of a house that is much, you know, not much larger, but larger than the apartment with more storage space. So doing a lot of clean out, um, all my stuff that's in the house is going to storage. And it's been a crazy week, two weeks, whatever, however many weeks it's been. Um, and we've got another week to go of it. And my family, whom I love, um, you know, we couldn't be on an episode of Hoarders uh, by any means, but you know, we could be considered. No, I don't think it's that bad, but especially in the basement, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be there. So suffice to say, I've had a lot to work, a lot of work to do, and I haven't really gotten to focus on the blues this week, uh, which is fine because they haven't deserved my focus. But this afternoon, I decided I was going to sit down and really, you know, I, I, I kind of assumed this was going to be the last game uh, of the season. 
Uh, I think a lot of us did. I don't think I'm breaking any news there, but uh, I really tried to sit down and catch most of the game. Um, and, you know, I... I don't know. I think they fought pretty well. I think they they didn't look embarrassing until real near the end it started to fall apart, but they're just not good enough. They're just not good enough. And I really think this is a team that has a lot of individuals who are talented, but there's kind of two layers to that. For one thing, the individual talent still isn't that high when you're comparing it to teams like the Avs or the Golden Knights, we're not on those teams' level, And even if we were firing on all cylinders. And on top of that, whether it's the talent or the scheme or whoever it is, this team just, the pieces, the parts don't add up to a a cohesive or a better whole. The parts seem better than the whole ends up being. Um, And... You know, there are a lot of guys here who were here during the cup run who played a big role during the cup run and now just aren't doing enough. You know, quite frankly, uh, I tweeted during the game sometime that, you know, I think Ryan O'Reilly is the only consistently um, consistently top six player on this team. Uh, Jeff Ponder, our friend, uh, tweeted that you know, there are some exceptions to the Blues, you know, kind of underperforming to be sure. But he said, uh, ROR and Bennington as well as Falk. But 91-17-10, so that's Tarasenko, Schwartz, Shin, Thomas, 18, and 55, Pareko, to name a few, just aren't cutting it in top roles. And um, I think he's right. You know, this was a year... I'll start with Robert Thomas because, you know, we we... We have to sting the ones we love uh, to to heal them, you know, cut them to heal them sort of thing. But, uh, you know, he had good moments tonight, obviously had the assist on the second Tarasenko goal. Um, I think he's getting there, but this was supposed to be a real breakout season for him, and it wasn't. Now, the positive of that is that's going to make your contract negotiation a lot more tolerable. Ian talked about this way back at the beginning of the season, but he said... You know, as much as I want to see Robert Thomas have his breakout and be incredible this year, wouldn't be the worst thing for him to struggle a little bit and make the contract negotiation a little better and then really take off next year. And uh, we don't know about next year, but he certainly didn't uh, earn some, you know, massive high-dollar contract right now. And, you know, if he still reaches the levels that he could reach, that's positive news. That's promising. But he hasn't looked good enough. But... I would say, and of course I'm biased, that he deserves a lot more leeway as a 22-year-old than, you know, some of the uh, others on this team. Colton Pareko, 21-year-old, soon to be 22 in July. Colton Pareko, um, Ian and I are, I'm sure, going to talk about this a lot. We already have. I just don't think this is the guy we thought he was. I don't even, and maybe he's been hurt all season. I mean, he definitely has been hurt all season. Um, But do you really feel like that's a guy you want to give another long contract to when you're already paying Falk and Krug as much money as you're paying them? And you can talk about how maybe those were bad decisions and they should have built around Pareko all you want, but those decisions are made. Um, to me, the number one thing I'd do if I was Doug Armstrong this offseason is try and 
trade Colton Pareko. You can't have another player leave this team as an unrestricted free agent. We don't know what's going to happen with Jaden Schwartz. Um, and maybe we resign him, but that's a whole nother kettle of fish. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Pareko, I just like, I don't know what his role is. If Falk, if Falk is going to be our best defenseman, which he clearly was this year, I don't think there's any debating that. Uh, he went through weaker stretches, but he was definitely our number one def- uh, defenseman, you know, on on the whole over the course of the season. If he's going to be your number one, what are you paying Pareko to be your number two? And he Pareko doesn't have that shutdown partner right now. Um, maybe maybe that's the move. Maybe instead of trading him, you go and find a guy who can partner with him on the left side and be that shutdown guy. But then how much are you willing to pay for your defense? Because then if you're talking about bringing the, either of those guys in around where you're bringing in Falk and, and uh, Krug already, that's you know 6.5 per. That's I'm bad at math. Watch this. $26 million. I did it. Uh, committed to your defense in you know for a long time and it's not that great a defense for that you know of you know I know a lot of people really like uh, Jamie Alexiak the big uh, Dallas Stars defenseman um, I I respect everyone on Blues Twitter but I don't know how you look at that team that we just watched lose to the Colorado Avalanche and think, you know what the Blues need is to get bigger and slower. That's really that's really what this team needs. And and fundamentally, um, that's really the problem with the team as a whole. And I'm sure it's something we'll dive into next time. But this is just a team that doesn't the scheme doesn't fit the team. Hey, that was a that was a real was a real thing there the scheme doesn't fit the team Armstrong has clearly moved the roster in a different direction from the way the team won the cup in 2019 and I think that's healthy because I think he correctly recognized that while it was great to win the cup when we won it uh, that style of hockey was kind of out of date and, and hockey goes through ebbs and flows and it won't be gone forever but um, you know teams the good teams in the league were transition teams and fast teams with a lot of skill up front and a lot of defensemen who can make quick passes and, and jump up into the play and make uh, smart decisions and I think he really intentionally moved in that direction but then there's this guy Craig Berube who is just not that guy and I don't have you know I had I do have some problems with Craig Berube but I don't have like a vendetta against him but that's just not the team that he's ever gonna coach so you have to really decide I know he's I think he's got one more year on his contract I'd be shocked if Armstrong uh, made the decision to fire him but you have to decide if 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 that's the team you're building then the marriage with Berube just isn't gonna last very long um and I can't see, I, I don't know what Armstrong would be thinking about building that team with Berube here. Maybe he just expected him to, to use the players better, but it, this first year of the experiment has not gone well. Um, I don't, you know, or the second year, but the first year of the much younger, much faster sort of team 
um, sans Alex Petrangelo didn't go well. I don't expect it to get any better going forward, and I don't want Craig Berube to be the guy in whose hands uh, the NHL futures of guys like Scott Perunovich uh, and Quim Costin come to rest. I mean, he'll like Quim Costin more because he's more physical, but he's still a young player, and Berube tends to not put young players in in high leverage roles until they've overproved themselves, uh, which doesn't help their confidence, I don't think. So that's that's you know one of your that's one of your big questions entering the offseason. You, you know, you've got three or four to me. Obviously the UFAs. I think Bozak, I thought for a while you could bring him back on a on a sh- small deal and it's not going to crush the team if you don't or if you do, you know, for two or three million. But I don't see why, after what we just witnessed, you'd really be trying to keep parts of, you know, at the very least, if you want to sign a guy like Schwartz, um, I can see the argument for that. But I don't think there's anything about that offense that you need to think, well, we really want to keep as many pieces from it as we can. So to me, Bozak's a guy you easily let walk. Um, Because also, if you sign him, you're just going to have to protect him anyway. Schwartz, that's a whole conversation. Um, I'd let him walk. I I saw someone, I think it was Blues Views on Twitter, call him the most consistent forward of the last decade. And I really like Blues Views. There's nothing against them personally, but consistency is the last word I think of when I think of Jaden Schwartz. He's hurt all the time, and, and granted, uh, they did say when healthy, but he's hurt frequently. Um and he is not consistent to me. He's not He's not the same player night in, night out. I know people have this idea of him as the engine and him as this really big different make, maker, um, but he just isn't to me. The offense isn't that good, and he's there. He's been there most of the season, so I don't see... I don't see why that would be another piece you'd bring in and pay 5.5 or $6 million not bring in, but keep here. Um, and again, what's it, what's the term going to be? Does he want eight years? Cause no, you don't, you couldn't possibly assign a guy with that sort of injury history for eight years is, does he want six? That's still too much. Is he going to do four? But if he does four, is he going to want 7 million? Cause that's too much. That's all, you know, it's all, it's all the balances of contracts, especially in the cap era, cap era. Um, and I don't, I just don't think there's, I, I can't think of a number that I think he would realistically sign for a number and a term that I think Schwartz would realistically sign for where I'm like, for sure, do it. You know, if you can get him at 5 million for four seasons, great. Keep him, love it, do it. But I don't think he's signing that. I can't imagine he's signing that. Um, so you know, I just, I know, I don't have anything against him, again, but this offense needs significant changes. And um, I just don't, I don't see why you'd try and keep much more of it uh, than you have to. You know, I think you're you're married to some guys now. Shin has not been good this postseason. Um you know, he had highs and lows during the season, but he wasn't especially good overall. He had that, like, 18-game goalless drought. 
Um, I don't know how many goals he had, you know, on either side of that or after that towards the end of the season. 36 points in 56 games, 16 goals. You know, nothing wrong with that. He's a fine player, but is he, you know, I, I feel like the Blues have a lot of guys that are really middle six players that we're pretending are solid top six players. You know, Shin is a guy that I think he's a, a, a great player. Any team in the NHL would love to have Braden Shin, maybe not on his current contract, but overall, you know, they'd love to have him. But is he a guy you want on your top line? I don't really think so in an ideal world. Jaden Schwartz, is that a guy that a really good team, a team like the Avalanche or the Vegas Golden Knights want on their top line? I don't feel like it is. Maybe it is, you know, but it's just, you know, you look from no from March 8th, uh, Braden Shen had a goal. And then from then until the end of the season, he had one goal on April 26th, one goal on May 3rd, and two goals in the final game of the season on May 13th. And then um, one goal in the postseason, and he was like a minus uh, six plus whatever he was today, a minus uh, minus six. So he was a nothing today. No impact, two hits and one giveaway, and that was all. And a 29% faceoff percentage. So... You know, there's just a lot of guys here that you're that you're gonna be stuck with anyway. Vladimir Tarasenko, um, I w- you know the highlight of tonight was seeing him score two goals, and I know a lot of people will say too little, too late, and I get that. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily even wrong, but to see him show any life or any energy is a relief to me, and I. I got to say, I'm really frustrated by a lot of the people who are just kind of glibly saying, trade him or, you know, expose him to the Seattle or whatever. Like, if you want to do that because that's the right decision financially or strategically, go for it. But, like, there are too many people who seem to not outright root against Vladimir Tarasenko, but maybe don't root for him as much as I'd like to see. And, And we all have different players that we love and hate, but, like, or not, you know, hope we don't hate on our own team, but love or, you know, feel more or less strongly about. But to me, Tarasenko should be the number one to a lot of us in terms of, like, guys who wear their hearts on their sleeve and care about their this franchise. And, and I think all of us should hope that the ideal solution for him is to come out and be a 30-goal scorer as a blue next season. You know, maybe that doesn't happen. I don't think we can bank on that happening. I don't think we can go into next season just assuming it happens. He's playing really timid hockey right now. But I think that's what all of us should want, you know? And and the way he's he's sacrificed, or not sacrificed necessarily, but the way he's, like, tried to become a part of the city and considers it his home and, and really cares about this franchise. Like, yeah, I want, I want to see him succeed as a Blue, and I'm not sure it'll happen... I'm not sure he's going to be able to co- overcome the injuries to become the player he once was. We said as far back as when he was injured this most recent time that that probably was going to be the case. But if he can be, that'd be awesome. I love that. I want that more than just about any other thing for this team. Um, you know, I care more about his individual success than just about any other player because he's been through a lot. Um, he cares about the team. And, you know, I know he people say he lacks hustle and stuff a lot of the time but 
I promise you, if you talk to national experts uh, about him, they think the exact opposite. I know for a fact Greg Wyshynski uses him as like an example of a guy that didn't play Ken Hitchcock style at all and worked his ass off to get there and become a guy who was, you know, not a defensive strong point necessarily, but a lot less of a defensive liability. Um you know, because I've, I've heard him and other people compare Patrick Laine to that and say, well, here's the sort of player Patrick Laine should be modeling himself after. So, you know, we have our personal beefs because we see him every night and every game and we've watched him this season and it hasn't looked good. I'm not pretending that it has, uh, but I do think we should root for him. So that was the best highlight of today uh, for me is seeing him do that. Um, sorry for the Slack notifications that are popping off in the background. Um but, you know, overall, this series, I don't think there are takeaways, really. I think the the most positive thing you can say is that I don't, I think, you know, stats notwithstanding, and I don't know how good or bad they will end up being, uh, but I think Bennington was everything you could reasonably hope for him to be in this series. Um, you know, he didn't steal a game, but if we'd won game one, we wouldn't be saying he stole the game. If we won any of these games... Uh, we might have been saying he stole a game. There's not the offense didn't do enough to allow him to steal a game, um, but you know he played really well. He he a lot of the goal. I don't I don't remember any goal that was, you know, a, a howler against him that he really should have stopped. It was a lot of either just incredibly high skill plays and shots or super duper screens and deflections and wacky stuff that no goalie can be held accountable for. So he was. He was solid and consistent, even if his numbers don't end up being all that impressive. Um, you know, it was good to see a 906 tonight, um, 28 shots on 30 or 28 saves on 30 shots, you know, against a team this good. It's just going to be like that sometimes. So, um, oh, sorry, that's an even strength. So, 29 saves on 32 shots. Um, but, you know, that was a big positive. Um, Jordan Kyrie looked pretty good at times, um, but a lot of the rest of this team sure didn't. And the Blues have a lot of dis- a lot of decisions to make. Uh, Doug Armstrong has a lot of work to do this off season. Um, I think we need to put behind put the cup behind us significantly. I know a lot of teams, a lot of people are out there right now saying, "Well, it's." Really unfair to judge the Blues on the last two seasons because COVID and the bubble and no fans and X, Y, and Z and injuries and everything else. And yeah, I get it. But every other team in the league has dealt with COVID and no fans um, and to a greater or lesser extent injuries. And some of those teams are the Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights and the Tampa Bay Lightning and even the Florida Panthers. Um, and Carolina Hurricanes, you know, less less traditional powerhouse teams, younger teams that overcame it and played really well and became better teams during the bubble. So, like, you're as long as you're comparing them against their competition, I think you definitely can and should rely on these seasons to judge the team because otherwise you're just going to wait another year uh, and find out that they're still not that good. And I think... There will still be some fans, if you do that, who say, well, we really only have one real season since the Cup to evaluate these team, this team. Like, we can't make harsh judgments now. 
And that's how you become the Red Wings or the Kings or some team that just refused to acknowledge that they needed uh, a change and refused to act quick enough um, to get better, you know? So to me, for the Blues, um, it's, it's all about finding that identity and picking a direction. Because the worst thing, and I think I said this to Ian on the last episode, the worst thing you can do is not have a direction. The worst thing you can be is just a mediocre team that doesn't have the guts to say we're rebuilding or even to say we're really going for it and we're going to go be aggressive in free agency and try to sign somebody and make a trade or whatever. Like, whatever, either of those directions to me would be fine and exciting, but signing Schwartz, re-signing Schwartz and extending Pareko and coming into next season with, like, a, I don't know, a Michael Grabner or whoever and, you know, third-line guy as, like, the big addition of the offseason. That just isn't going to cut it for me because I just don't think we're good enough to hang with a team like the Avs. Um, to go back into what I think is a harder division, you lose um, the Golden Knights, but you also lose all the really bad teams we got to beat up on this season that are the reason we got into the playoffs. Um, and you gain teams that you struggle against, like Nashville and Chicago and Arizona, who might not be objectively good, but are rivals and, and give you fits. And so I don't think it's going to be any easier to make the playoffs next year. I don't think it's going to be any easier to survive the playoffs next year and advance deep into the playoffs next year. Um, and I don't think if the team stays this way and doesn't get any better that they're really going to have a good time and enjoy themselves. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else I really super-duper wanted to talk about because, like I said, there's this was always going to be kind of off the wall. Um Ivan Barbashev, let's talk about him for a minute. I don't really have a problem with Ivan Barbashev. Uh, but you put him on a top line tonight of Tarasenko and O'Reilly and Barbashev, which is the most just throwing shit at a wall line I've ever seen in my entire life. You've got two centers um, and Tarasenko and O'Reilly, who you refuse to ever play with each other. I don't know if that's because they have—I know there's— According to JR's reporting, there are some people that don't want to play with each other, so maybe there are two of them. But you never play them together, so why are you suddenly doing it in a must-win game? And why is Ivan Barbashev, who I love, but who at his best is a fourth or third-line player, hopping up to your first line? And that that goes to show that we just don't have top-tier talent. We there's there's not a team in the world you know if you're if you're firing at all cylinders if you've got a really good team you're not punishing your good you're not punishing your Jaden Schwartzes and your Braden Shins by moving them down to the third line just because they had a couple of off nights you know if Miko Rantanen doesn't score for three games do you think uh, he's getting bounced off of the of the McKinnon line. I don't think so. I really think that's unlikely. And and not every team can have a first line that good. But and again, it's really not against Ivan Barbashev. He's one of the most versatile players we have. I really hope we don't lose him to Seattle over the summer. But like, just that decision in a nutshell. And I think you saw it when he missed the net completely on that wide open chance in the first period that could have set the tone for this game. Could have given the Blues at least the the courtesy win, the gentleman's sweep sort of feeling, 
um, didn't happen because he missed, you know, and I don't know how the rest of the game plays out. We still got the first goal and didn't matter, but he misses a wide open net, can't even put a shot on net. We had two shots until like the final four minutes of the first period. We're just not offensively good enough, um, and we need a lot of changes. It was great to see Tarasenko score. Um, it was great to see Bennington be pretty good. It was great to see Falk be just an animal through the second half of the season, and it sucks. It sucks the way his season ended. Pardon me as I take a drink of water. Yeah, don't get that kind of action on a team podcast. That's some Marco Rubio stuff for you. But, um, you know, it, it sucks that this team was injured and didn't have the opportunity to play at full strength basically since day one of the season. But we're still not—I mean, you're still just fooling yourselves if you think that this team at full strength is anywhere near the Avalanches League or the Golden Knights League or maybe even the Wilds League. I know we played them pretty well, so that's a little more debatable, but they're hanging tough with the Golden Knights in a in a close series. So, you know, it's it's just it's time to rethink the Blues. Um the Blues are the only team uh that's going to get swept in the first round, I think this year. Um I think Edmonton is still vulnerable, but they're up 2 to nothing in their game right now, so uh you know, we'll see. Um, but all the other series is already have wins on both sides of the ledger. Um, so, you know, that's that's the reality of it. That we were the, I don't think we're the worst of the playoff teams. I think we, you know, healthy, we could probably beat a Winnipeg or, um, you know, one of the, maybe a Nashville in a seven-game series in Montreal. But we're certainly the worst in our division by a good stretch of the playoff teams. And if... Folks want to be that and are comfortable being that and comfortable making excuses and taking the chance that their excuses are right and coming into next season without changes, then I think that's great for them. But I'm just not on that bandwagon. I really I really am not. So I don't have a lot else to say. I'll scan Twitter for a minute and see if there's anything to add here. Um, but I just don't. I don't feel like I don't feel like there's a lot of mystery here. I think the team just wasn't good enough, uh, and that can be okay. It can be okay in stretches to be not as good as a really, 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 really good hockey team. Um, but if you go into next season without having made changes and you know that you're eventually going to have to overcome that same really, really, really good hockey team uh, to get to the ultimate goal, then you get what you get. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's time to go into the off season and figure out what you want to be. We'll see the media day. We'll get to hear uh, people, you know, who have the nagging little injuries that we don't know about. According to Jeremy Rutherford, Tarasenko has already said that he has a groin problem and it needs time to heal. So that's another fun thing to think about. At least it's not a shoulder. Um O'Reilly said that Colorado is clearly the better team and we didn't even give ourselves the chance. And here's a couple extended quotes from Barubi to wrap us up and we'll see if there's anything worth talking about here. We'll go over these, I'm sure, again with uh, Ian after all the media day and stuff like that. Um, Barubi on the difficulty finding an identity this year. I believe at times it was difficult. 
we were always fighting for that a little bit, trying to find that identity throughout the season. With so many guys in and out of the lineup, the chemistry wasn't quite there. But again, I thought our guys fought hard. We made the playoffs. They played really well down the stretch. And then obviously some things happened before the playoffs that are unfortunate. But in saying that, we're better than losing four straight to them. Uh, I don't want to sit here and just dissect everything right now. I don't think it's the right time. Listen, they were better than us. They beat us in four straight. They're a great team. We weren't good enough. That's the bottom line because Craig Berube said so. Um, and that, you know, that kind of sums it up. That's kind of, that is kind of the bottom line. So Ian and I will talk about a lot more next time. Uh, I'm sorry if my nose has sounded weird my voice has sounded weird uh, i have a lot of allergies being kicked up um with all the dust and the stuff during the move did i mention i was moving have i mentioned that so um you know hopefully it hasn't sounded too weird but just wanted to get some immediate thoughts and and go crazy with the uh solo podcast to keep the uh playoff podcast episode tradition alive so hope you enjoyed it if you listened this far uh you know give us a a shout on twitter with the code hashtag nuggets. I don't know. I got nothing. Uh, the Blues are out of the playoffs, which means we get to just watch hockey and enjoy it and not sweat ourselves, except uh, now my only my only stands will be uh, watching uh, Maple Leafs crumble into a, a flaming pile of dust, which I hope happens sooner than later, but probably won't happen against Montreal. But in any case, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, you know, don't drink too much tonight. Take care of yourselves, and uh, we'll we'll talk soon. And that's the bottom line. What? Cause Stone Cold said so. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling Toss salads and scrambled eggs Quite stylish And maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do with those Toss salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again Scrambled eggs all over my face What is a boy to do? Frazier has left the building.